Okay, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Billy Watson TV. I normally say it gives me great pleasure to introduce a guest and know I'm quite happy to chat with Alex. Unfortunately, he's here in very unfortunate circumstances. So um, a lot of you will know basically um, of Alex who's just recently in a movie that's out on YouTube. It had a million views and got deleted and I've had to start again with the views on that one uh, called Safe and Effective. Um, as a result of his vaccine damage. I've been trying to go live on my website and it's not going live there, so I'm on Facebook only and it might get cut off and I won't have a recording of this. So please share this just now and get it out there to as many people as we can because I might not have a recording of it because um, the Facebook don't like the truth. So let's get into the truth, Alex. Welcome to the show and good to have you here um, despite the circumstances and how are you doing today, mate? Thank you for today and uh, I appreciate you inviting me. I, I'm actually doing okay today. Um, managed to get a half decent sleep last night, which is always a, a benefit. Um, the last couple of weeks haven't been great sleep-wise, so it's good to get asleep. So I'm feeling not too bad. A bit groggy, but eh, I'm yes. not running a marathon today, so we will be all right. I'm just letting people on my website there know um, we were just on Facebook. So yeah, sorry to here obviously you're not keeping the best and tired and obviously it's a day-to-day -day struggle for you um since that day when you lined up to do the right thing kind of thing uh how's that been going um just the daily aspect of it like every day uh stefan you know some days you don't have a great day and you can well, everything else is because you've you've been stuck and you've not been able to get out mobile, tired or sore for whatever reason you have a good day everyone else you tend to kick the backside out of it and it's yeah. taking the time to realise that I can't do that anymore Yeah, because the recovery process that, if I do that, that one day could take me 3-4 days to recover Yeah, and it's depending on what I've been doing, whether it be physically mentally, you know it, it takes me longer now to recover, but yeah, you know Everybody else, you know, some days you wake up and you're feeling bright and cheerful and happy, and other days you're <laughs> in the greatest mood and you don't know why. You know, that hasn't really changed. Um, you know, if I go back the way, you know, it's, it's about 18 months, I think. So um, we go to the 20th of March, like you said, you know, try to do the right thing. We, we were looking at the, the information that we were getting told that this was safe and effective, you know, it was 100% safe, you were protecting everyone, you know, you were not going to kill your granny, you know. We know all that, we've seen it, if you, if you, if for those that haven't seen the documentary, I recommend watching it. It's a very polished version of the, the simple way the situation was at the time. And I went and did what I thought was the right thing uh, on the 20th of March, 2021. And I was verbally told, maybe a sore arm, sore sight area for a couple of days, flu-like symptoms. And that, that happened and went back to work on the Monday. Everything was fine. First of April, I experienced what I thought were calf issues at work. I'm a scaffolder, so we were used to pulling muscles on a regular basis. So I actually generally thought I'd pull both my calf muscles, lifting something a bit heavy. Struggled on for the next couple of days, and then on... Sunday the 4th of April, I collapsed at home and was rushed by ambulance to Hermeyer's Hospital in East Kilbride. 
um, was rushed into a CT scan. I had to get permission, and the CT scan was still spinning, and the doctor was there. They just said, we need to go to the theatre. We need to go now. Uh, and I asked, you know, is it that bad? She said, yeah. I said, how bad? She said, the worst bad. And I, I know, I, I can, I don't remember. I said, well, just do what you can ask you to do is do your best. Um, I was given a couple of minutes to make a phone call to both my wife and two daughters, obviously, to say, that's really um, which is not sort of got a cat who is very attentive and wants in. Um, so that was went into surgery seven and a half hours later, come round and the same wee lady was standing and she said, you know, don't know why you're here. You shouldn't be here, but here you are and here we hope you stay. Do you know who you are? Do you know where you are? And I said, I know who I am and I know I'm in a hospital. I don't know what hospital and I don't know what's happened. And she explained to me that she'd spent seven and a half hours removing clots from my lower abdomen, my left leg and my right leg. But sadly, she had serious concerns about my left leg and at the moment was looking most likely to be an amputation. Yeah, um, she gave me, to be honest, 15 minutes. I asked her, she gave me sort of 15 minutes to process this. Um, they did, they kind of left the room because you're sitting, you know, 24 hours ago, you were a scaffolder. Now you can told you're going to lose your leg. Part of your leg. Um, so those kind of thoughts all go through your head and you really don't get the time to process any of it. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, she came back in. And I asked her, you know, for some, and I've said this a couple of times, the first, first question I asked was, if it's a below the knee or an above the knee? And she asked why, and I said, well, and I told her I'm an old mod. I've been a mod all my life. I've driven old Vespers all my life. You know, if you look at my pictures and profiles and, and things like that, it's me on scooters. Um... So that's been a huge part of my life. You know, being a mod isn't just a, it wasn't about just the clothes, the music, the scooters and the dancing for me. It became an actual way of life and as a way of life for many of us. And it's a philosophy of you believe that you're uniquely different from anyone in this planet. Just as you are. You'll never meet anyone like me and I'll never meet anyone like you. And to try and be the best possible version of you that you can be at all times. And I've tried to live with those standards, morals, ethics and principles, and that's my beliefs and my passions. You know, so the schools and all that were part of it. Um, and that served me all my life. And I kind of thought at the age of, at that time, 57, 56, 57, I kind of achieved that. I was content in my life. I was happy. You know, I'd been in a band. I was in a mod band for a couple of years that became pretty successful in the mod scene. And, you know... I headlines a scooter rally, which was incredible from the you know, local boy that just wanted to play. I wasn't even a great guitar player or anything like that, but, you know, you've got to be a, a good band. And they're still going, great bunch of guys. And I kind of thought, you know, these people try to take that away from me, so why should I change? And that came my positive. That's always been my approach to life. So my first question was, you know, 
that will be a load. I mean, like, would it do? What kind of She said, give me a second. She brought in the vascular surgeon, who I call him my doc from Back to the Future, because he's 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 got the hair, the, the big glasses, he's got a French Swiss accent, and he came in and, he, and then asked the first question, and he said, it's likely to be an above the knee. And I said, you know, there's no hope. And he said, yes, there's hope. And why is it so important to you? And I said, apart from changing what I can do in life, I want to know about the weight of a prosthetic leg, hold the weight of a scooter. That was the first question I asked him. (laughs) (laughs) So you know where my passions lie. (laughs) Um, And he he didn't understand it first, so I had to get my mobile phone, go into Facebook, show him. The kind of what my, my culture, I'm a three piece suit guy. Yeah. I'm the old fashioned. I've seen old. you currently dressed in a few podcasts. That's, you know, that's me. Sorry, I, I should have made a bit of an effort this afternoon. Probably watching TV, relax. <laughs> I do have my skirt hoodie on, my club's yeah. hoodie on, so yeah, they're still skirt related. Um, and I eventually got it and he understood it and he said, I don't know. And so, yeah, uh, I'll give you a week in the hope that it would maybe do something. I now realise it wasn't he gave me a week because there was a hope. He gave me a week because I just survived certain half-hour surgery that I shouldn't have survived. Mm-hmm. And there's no way my body would have survived another couple of hours, maybe five-hour surgery mm-hmm. straight away. So behind hindsight, we knew that. Um, a week later, I was amputated above the knee, um, came round and realised that effectively that everything I knew previously is gone. And this is a whole new world. I mean, just a week building up to that, I mean, looking at your leg and lying there, I mean, it must have been pretty fucking... Yeah, that, that week was spent in isolation, um, which has been, it could be looked at two ways. In a dark way, yeah, that was a horrible, horrible dark, dark week. Because you go through every imagine you can think, every thought you can possibly imagine goes through your head. And it can also be used as a positive because that solitude time allowed me to try and process some of my own personal emotions. Because as a human being, you know, we're all no prepares you for that news. No, definitely no. You know, and especially if there's been no sort of a previous lead up to it. So that sudden shock of your. 24 hours ago, you were an able-bodied human being. Now yeah. you're an amputee. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to get your head around that. And I've always been... My mother called me the most strong, stubborn bastard she'd ever clapped her eyes on. <laughs> and it wasn't said in a loving way many times. At the end, <laughs> she did at times, but as I grew up, no. And I have to realise that now... I think my mother was right. Um, and I think now that she was right, I have to, that she's no longer with us, that I have to honour that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'm going to be the most strong, stubborn, awkward bastard I can be. 
So that kind of what I set out and I realised that the only thing that's going to make a difference here is you yourself. So within eight hours of being amputated, I was in a gym and I was on parallel bars. And started that process of learning to walk to a certain extent <laughs> with no with, with a, <laughs> some preparing for the future of a prosthetic leg. Um, I was home within eight days of being amputated, surely because of that determined drive, and I suppose because of the supreme shape my body was in prior to that as a scaffolder. I was 12 and a half stone, 13 stone, less than 5% body fat. At any age, that's a phenomenal shape to be in. But at 56, 57, you know, I was proud of my body. Of course I was. Yeah. You know, and plus the fact, you know, as a mod, that self-ego thing as well is part of it. Um, so that's kind of that where I got me there. Um, and for, you know, that fight continues. Within six months, sorry, within three months, I was walking without sticks. Yeah. And then I had... So how do you um, walk without sticks with with one, one leg? Is this with a prosthetic? No, with a prosthetic, with a prosthetic. Within oh. three months of being amputated. Yeah. Um, it's not a record, but it's not quite proud of the achievement. That it, it takes a lot to do that, you know. Um, What's involved in the process of that, just getting that leg working? You've, to, to learn how to use a prosthetic leg, you have to walk slightly differently. Right. Because obviously, not only if you get the balance issues and things like that, um, you technically have to sort of a clench your butt up lift your hip, right. use your quad muscles and your thigh muscles to swing right. like you would take a normal step. Right. And then that technique gives you the trust or the, yeah, develops the trust in the knee joint. Right. And that's the key part because effectively the first step you're taking, especially with me, I'm a left legger. I've always been a left legger. And if you're well, if you're right footed, you automatically go to take a step with the right foot. Aye. Fifty-six years of taking a step with your left foot takes <laughs> a bit of re rewriting. Yeah. Um, so it's natural for me to want to take a step with my left leg. Uh, that confidence of that first throwing, that and you're relying on something mechanical that's not part of you that you don't have the same in it feelings if you do with your own muscles and tendons and sort of thing, those sensations, but that's not there, so you're kind of throwing it into the winter, to certain extent, and building that trust that, that it'll work, it'll do what its job is designed to do. Yeah. It does. Yeah. But, so you've got that, and you've got to, so you develop, and you try to also kind of walk up, right? There's lots of different things that's to make it work right, because if you're leaning forward, your balance is off, as you can understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all that takes time and trust as well as you've got the physical healing of the from the amputation so my side case uh, because the the amputation normally when they do an amputation above the knee they use the calf muscle to to fold over as a, as a kind of sub, not as a, a, a suspension sort of idea but it gives a bit of support and a bit of 
something to deaden the skin and suspension, sorry, their shock absorber. Um, but they couldn't do that with me, so I'm very close to the bone above the knee. Right. Um, I have basically bone straight onto the skin. Right. Uh, so that takes a different type of healing, so we say. Um, the wound itself, never had many issues with it, uh, other than the stitches uh, are still a problem. Uh, we, we thought we'd removed all of them. Some have been in there now for 18 months. Right. They're not degraded? They're not so... um, no, because the, effectively it's, it's like fishing line that they use. Right. Uh, right. The way, so there's a couple of, there's one of them particular that in the last sort of a 36 hours we've realised has been a major problem right. because it's now sitting horizontally. Aye. Between the skin and the bone, Aye. just at the scar tissue. Yeah. And to describe it as like, if you can imagine a needle hitting your bone. Aye, it's no good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and putting your full weight on it is difficult. Aye. So that's kind of where we are with that. Um, as I said, within three months, I was walking without six, uh, which I was so happy with. But I'd lost three stone in hospital. Aye. Um, obviously, some of that was due to the amputation. Now, having no body fat, losing that amount of weight is huge. Um, and these cust- these prosthetic legs are custom fitted. The socket round the amputation site is, is like a made to measure shoe effectively. Yeah. When you put weight on, or you lose weight, it's like everything else. It's, you know, two stone onto that. It's like trying to put a size nine in a size seven shoe. It doesn't fit. Aye. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that had to that process had to was restarted. It takes about two months to ten weeks for that to happen. Uh, and the first time we tried the new one on, it was instant agony, and we assumed it was the new socket Aye. and set the process to recast again. Aye. So that affected all in all. Eight months passed, and I, for whatever reason, it, it's, it's done now. Nobody my, thought, even myself, thought that sitting for that long in a chair without any regular physical exercise doesn't help. Yeah. So tendons had shortened, and there'd been some muscle wasted. So kind of now at the stage where. I've got a prosthetic leg, we've worked all the muscles, I've been through a private course that I'm doing with a, an acute sports physio, acute pain management sort of a chap's actually very, very experienced. Um, we're doing a, a trial thing that's not been done before to see what effects it can do. And so far, it's going really, really well. I've seen massive, fantastic results. Uh, in areas that I was struggling with. So that's where we are. Um, if we go down there, what kind of support and help I've had? Unfortunately, the Scottish Government has taken no course of action in any way, official or unofficially. They know people that me exist, but they don't want to know. The private fight, the fight that we had was with the UK government because they're the one that administer and run this whole scheme. The devolved parliaments are claiming that they only 
do it at all to a certain extent. It's not their problem. The Scottish government doesn't even have a, a vaccine injury reporting system. So what was that yellow card scheme then? Just the, that's the UK's own regulatory. So the Scottish government, the Welsh, and the Irish right. send everybody to the UK. Right, yeah. Uh, There's the no much lower than the actual figures of people being harmed, though. You know, it's the tip of the iceberg. The, the figures on the yellow card are the accurate figures that's been reported in the sense that that's usually, mostly it's only doctors that fill in the yellow card. However, you're entitled as an individual to fill out your own yellow card. Okay. What the yellow card, it gets an awful lot of abuse. But what has to be accepted and can't be changed is that it's highlighted that the yellow card is underreported by up to 10%. Even the UK government accepts that. The figures at the moment are around about half a million reported adverse events and 2,440 deaths. Now, that's not saying that every one of those adverse events and deaths is vaccine-related. Nobody is saying that. But the, 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 what has to be asked, what investigation is being done into these reported effects to determine is it this related? Is it that related? And only then can we move forward and realise, yes, there is an issue. Now, if we take that number and add even 5% of it, that's frightening. The deaths in Scotland, there's 17 deaths being accepted officially and acknowledged as being caused by a vaccine in Scotland alone. Yeah, yeah they're still issuing it. You know, yeah, they're still issuing it. They're still telling you it's so effective. That kind of brings you up to date with last night, you know, in April there was a, a Twitter post put out by a colleague, a friend of mine called John Watt, who's also vaccine injured. Uh, me and John didn't know each other prior to this and we became friends through this. And I go and visit John and I went home and visited him and he put me a video up. And this was on the 1st of April. And an MSP by the name of John Mason thought it would be appropriate to put funny laughing emojis at this. That caused a stir then and a backlash that was pretty violent, nasty. And I personally tried to speak to John. I did speak to John. He refused to acknowledge that his tweets were abusive and he stood by all his tweets. The conversation lasted 57 seconds and I closed the strip of the phone down. Oh my God. There's no point in me wasting my time trying to talk to someone that's not prepared. That's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> yeah. um, and then last night, he actually responded to it. Yeah. <laughs> saying vaccines are safe, they're 100% safe and effective. <laughs> sore arms, go and get your booster. And my first initial response was, and I'm being honest, well, I do just fuck off, John. <laughs> and that's exactly the tweet I put. And then I thought, no, this is this is nefarious. This is just deliberate. So I screenshotted it and I retweeted it and said, this was posted in April, 25 minutes ago. He thought it was appropriate to respond with that. You're nothing but a disgusting weasel politician. This is deliberate. Well, you 
He's using the phrase safe and effective in there, and it's like making a mockery of that movie, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so therefore, now, whatever you want to be looking for, you agree with what, how, why, when, it doesn't change the facts. I'm an amputee, I'm now disabled. Irrespective of how I got here, I'm here. I don't need an MP of the Scottish Parliament who's on the Scottish government's own COVID team doing that. That's coming across now as vindictive and abusive. Yeah, it's totally sure. And I'm sure there's laws and crimes, and I'm I'm actually behind the scenes. I've officially complained to him as office personally. I've complained to my own MSP personally. I phoned the Scottish NSP. I spoke to them and raised my my concerns. I've spoke to Disabilities UK and Scotland. I'm not letting this one go because what am I meant to take out of that? <laughs> it's just unbelievably sick behaviour. Now, I deal with enough going on Aye. without pylons from people in government who have done fuck all, and I do mean that absolutely fuck all to help people in Scotland that have been vaccinated and didn't believe. I'm not the only person. There's more of us. That's a real harsh thing. Call me, you're okay, call me rare all you want. It doesn't change the fact you're not supporting and helping anything that's rare. Other than basic state benefits, you're on your own. And if you're lucky, and I do mean lucky, you can claim for the vaccine damage payment scheme, but you have to be at least 60% disabled. And then you've got to medically prove causation, and then it goes to a board of medical assessors for them to assess whether probability has been assessed. <laughs> and even for that, for, for losing your life or your limb or never working again, you'll get a one-off payment of £120,000. That affects the benefits. Oh, God. <laughs> God's sake. Oh, where does that leave people like me? Angry bitter, resentful, twisted, all of those. But more than anything, I'm somebody who needs help and there's hundreds of thousands of us. And that's the message more than anything. And I keep saying, you can give me abuse all you want. You can maybe differ with what I've done and what I've not done. But beyond that now, I honestly genuinely think I've said this previously. But beyond who got what, why they got it, when they got it, or how they didn't get it, why they didn't get it. But at the we're now at a stage where people are clearly being injured and bereaved. It has to be looked at. Those that are officially recognised, they have to be supported. I've not had one bit of support. My psychological support, which the British government recommends for VIT cases which I am, which is vaccine-induced thrombiotic thrombodynia, is to include psychological support. Not from the UK government. Thrombosis UK was a charity that reached out and said, the recognised facts confirmed we will give psychological support. And I can honestly say there is at least two dozen plus of us that are still here because of these people. Because in a moment of pure darkness, they were a shining light and have been. A charity did that for us. Yeah. I'm not a charity case and I don't want to be a charity case. That's not what this is about. This is about stopping people's lives being wrecked. 
Also, it's the vaccine companies as well. How are they not getting mentioned in this, you know? It's like... Oh, the, the, the wonderful indemnity clause. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, I've read, believe it or not, I have read the, the AstraZeneca contract, the yeah. Pfizer contract, and the Moderna contract with the UK government. They were published. They disappeared, but they were published as part of the record. And all of them state clearly that the indemnity is only in place if the safety data is reliable and robust. Now, it's also only in place if informed consent is given. Now, there's two arguments there. I'll go down both if you want informed consent. Had I been told that they knew 20 years ago that AstraZeneca's mechanism that they were using to drive this was causing clotting issues and so went ahead. Had I known that they hadn't trialled in any humans, but, but I still went ahead. Had I known that they tried two animal tests that lasted 48 hours and every animal had to humanely be put down, had I known that, had I been fond of that, do you honestly think any sane, reasonable person would have been a thousand miles near that? No, so that's informed consent blown out the window. Indemnity for AstraZeneca. Well, there is no safety there at trial because they didn't do a fucking trial. They went straight for animals to human. So there is no indemnity. The fact that they knew about it 20 years ago and did nothing to change it, scraps, screws the indemnity. Pfizer, well, they tried to lock their documents for 75 years. And then when they did release them, everyone could see just how bad it was. But even their own trial there that they admitted to, was horrific. So, the, you know, that indemnity's gone. Moderna, well, they've been pulled pretty much. They're only used as a booster. They're insignificant. Johnson Johnson, they're gone. Pulled. Right. None of these are actually vaccines in the true terms of vaccines. The true term of vaccines, as we know them, up to these, have been all the vaccines you've probably had all your life. You know, from childhood up to now, and some for going on holiday and things like that. These were all done, delivered in a different way. They were taken from a, a dead part of it's a small part of your system and your body grew. That's not, you know, the protocols and procedures that were over 60 years of doing that. Well, to be but honest, they're flawed as well, but that is yeah. the old, these new ways are different. These things, these are a totally different whole mechanism. Yeah. So that's where we have a problem. So therefore, the indemnity's gone. Now, the civil cases will come. There's three going on in America just now. And my honest belief is that this is where this will break in America. Because our UK government and UK legal system are too close in line. Yeah, you don't say. America doesn't have that kind of culture. They've got some very big, good lawyers. They're, you know, they've got a wonderful history experience of litigation and civil actions. That's where the case is going to win. And we all would know that what happens in America will follow suit. Time, we, I've said from the beginning, the truth. I just keep telling the truth that justice will come. And the truth is coming out in justice, we've all seen. And, you know, people say to me, why do you keep going? Because I've got no other choice. 
I'm fighting for my very survival here. Not just me. I'm fighting in honour, in memory of the 80 souls lost to that alone. You know, I carry these names. That's pretty well. Yeah, I know you. Um, sorry, I couldn't. Because it hurts me to know that a 22 year old lad who didn't fucking need this thing is dead because of AstraZeneca and this government's approach and the fact that they just will not recognise when there's a problem. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not, I don't get too disowned. I, I, I want to take it up and put about our homes and and let people know that, you know, don't think that we're disillusioned. Don't think that we're finished and we're gone. And we're, you know, yeah, we have our dark moments. But I kind of look at it, if you look at the bloodamide scandal, it took 60 years before it kind of got resolved. And then we go to the 80s. Yeah, that yeah. took 40 years. Yeah. And then the Mephalia took 30 years. Pandemics took 10 years, you know. The last one took five years. The first acknowledgement of this was in a year and a half. So we are making progress. Well, basically, I'm friends with people who wrote this book. It's called What Really Makes You Ill. And that goes into all these things, polio and measles and smallpox and, you know, mad cow disease and explains other reasons why that happened. So, and I've been interviewing these guys, you know, about the truth. And what really gets me at, and I know you're, this is not your fight, you've not really investigated it, but I feel I should say it, is, you know, all these programmes that are coming out about vaccine damage, and it's fair enough, and the vaccines are bad, obviously, the more people know about that, and you guys get your just, you know, you can't even get just rewards or whatever, you know, just get justice, some kind of justice, the, the sooner the better, and the vaccine companies should be held, held accountable. But when you're trying to prove, you know, are these safe and effective, there's literally never been any vaccine, sorry, any virus if you know the true experiment, proven to cause illness. And that's a whole other ball game, you know, where you probably don't really want to go there because it's like, fucking, you've got enough to deal with, you know? I but... kind of just said, <laughs> what I will say is, what is apparently clear is that for the last 60 years, any of the pharmaceutical product that was put in the market wasn't put for the benefit of the common man. It was put for profit of pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. So then I thought, while I go around the road that I'm now inventing things for to make cures for, I, I, yeah, I, I kind of don't disagree with you. I really don't. Um, in many aspects, because these people have been proved time and time again. Pfizer and AstraZeneca are the two most fine companies in history. Yeah. We're not just talking a couple of hundred million here, we're talking. Billions, these companies have been fined. Yeah. Just since 2020, 2020, 2000, they, 2000, sorry. How much are they making if they're going to afford to pay these fines out? You know what I mean? Well, here's a simple math for you. Right. AstraZeneca and Pfizer have announced roughly 100 million a year profit in the last year, and that's been the same for the last two years. So these companies have individually made roughly two hundred million profit in two and a half years to three years. That's unreal. Now even if litigation takes fifty billion of that, there's still hundred and fifty billion up. Yep. Am I that cynical? I never was before, Bolly. That's the thing that well, probably hurts me in many ways. I was never this cynical and untrusted. 
Yeah. Is that how cold it looks? Yeah, if you take all the human emotions and the figures and all the politics out and go straight to the top. And I think that's what the problem that we've got. These people have designed us to fight for the bottom. Up. That doesn't fucking work. Let's go for the top down. There is an answer to this. These pharmaceutical companies have shown they've got absolutely no regard for human life. Because it's not the purpose for fat human beings to be running about. It's an they industry. They profit from illness. That's their industry. Yeah. So um, they toxify you and then give you things to manage the symptoms instead of actually keeping you well. They've not just manipulated data and had any small slap in the wrist. You know, they've been fucking charged with bribing government officials. Yeah. The isn't, you know, and you've got governments trusting these people. So therefore, you have to question the whole thing for the top. So let's go to the very top, UK government. Health Regulations Authority, independent to verify that medicine is safe coming through the UK. 85% of the board, all the research funding and studying has been sponsored by both Pfizer and AstraZeneca. 86% of the funding comes from pharmaceutical companies. So therefore, and they've admitted this year that they're not a regulator anymore, they're an enabler. Yeah. What the fuck does that even mean, Billy? It means they just say, they take the word, I, they're safe and effective, I, all right, okay, you say so, bingo, there you go. That's so, it. And you're, so you're going to do that, but you're still going to give these companies indemnity. Right. You know, so if we, we go there and then you start to look at the directors of these professors and their links to it and their shares, and it's all there. I don't need to reference them. Everyone knows that the clock ties down and then money all comes back. And it's all about money. And people say, why are more doctors not coming out speaking about it? There's a couple of reasons. Some of them are definitely scared. Some of them generally walking about blind, which is understandable, because that's the way they were training and talking. Yep, that's it. Driven. Some of them are like just you and me. Trying to pay our mortgages and feed their kids and survive. Financial reasons, and I understand that. But others, an awful lot of them, can't have a fucking lot of money out of that. They get 10 pounds a every prescription, because every vaccine that's injected gets a prescription. Yep. One doctor in, in London earned 85,000 in one week. It's unreal. Just with these. So therefore, that's why they're not coming out. Uh, these people know that these reactions are there. It's not just unique to just 424 fits. So 505 cases of gallon body syndrome, five deaths to that alone. Never mind Pfizer, myocarditis, POTS, myocarditis, tricarditis. These are all young lads under 40. And let's be honest, any of the younger 40, any of the younger 50 and as young to me, these young lads have been all their life at 22 told that you'll never do what you love anymore at yeah. 22 yeah. with the 10 year old kids who have been t can't understand why they can't stand up because they stand up they've got pots it's 10 they've got pots of myocarditis that they have been close to 125 or 140 they might have a cardiac incident how do you explain that to a 10 year old kid now 
we all accept if you went with down the road that there's always reactions to medicines and things like that. Okay, I'll give you that. What do you do to help the ones that close with Because the only reason this is coming to light and the way it's coming to light is that in the last three years there's been 2,800 applications just for these alone. In the last previous 12 years, there's 820 claims. There's your figures for you right there. This is massive. And it, something needs to be done to stop and help these people. If you're accepting that, that you are using these collateral damage as a government, saying there's an acceptance of risk, then there should be something put in place for that acceptance risk. And we now know, and it's not up for debate, that the sole the sole preparation is the UK government did for when it goes wrong with these things, knowing that there's a higher risk at the rate there were rushes they keep saying, but they were safe and effective, was add two words to a 1979 policy that's already been tried to reform four times. They added COVID-19 vaccines, and that was that. <laughs> they didn't add any special extra benefits. They stuck with the standard state benefits, which it took a 10 months itself just to get. So going from an employed human being on my working life straight to 10 months of no money, well, everybody else, I don't have the fucking money in the world to keep my house forever. 10 months just to get that. And that was basic state benefits, which is pet disablement and employment support allowance because I've worked all my life. I'm not entitled to anything else. I'm oh, sorry, they did just my council tax pay a band or something. That's unreal. Got disabled. That's the sum total of preparation this government put in place for when it comes Scottish government, what did they do? They just washed their hands and keep trying to say, well, it's not as responsible as the UK government. No, <laughs> you as a devolved government part of the reason this was put into place. You organised the NHS and did it on that side. That was a Scottish thing. I'm a Scottish citizen. I'm one of these things. I will say my MSP, Claire Hawkey, was brilliant in fighting for the, with regards to the vaccine damage payment scheme in the process, because that took a year and a half. That was a, another horror story. I could go on with that one if you want. That's horrific. Feel free. That claim was put in the 23rd of April. I received a letter on the 2nd of June, sorry, 2021. I received a letter on the 2nd of June, 2021, saying I had, they acknowledged my claim, and I had to prove two things, that I was medically 60% disabled, and this was most likely to be caused by a vaccine. Now, at that point in June, I now had medical confirmation that this has been classified as a vaccine-induced antibiotic from the vena. Solely caused by the AstraZeneca vaccine, and I was now certainly more than 60% disabled. We're now investigating the claim, and it may take some time to see some new vaccines. So I waited four weeks, five weeks, I think it was maybe six weeks, and I phoned the only number at that time, which was a, an 08. Number was an answer machine. 
You didn't get to speak to a human. The same message asking for a definition of how long some time was. Because the legal definition was 21 days. Right. And now we were certainly fucking well beyond that. In frustration, I reached out to my MSP and she has been fantastic. She wrote letters in my behalf all the way up to when they transferred the DWP over to National Health Service, Business Services. Um, they took over in November, right up to Chief Executive Michael Brody of the Vaccine Damage Pain, of, sorry, of the NHPSEA, as well as the head of the Vaccine Damage Payment Scheme. Um, and even up to the level of Boris Johnson, which we did eventually get a response. She, I think, was instrumental in keeping the pressure on them in the background, which was fantastic. But that is the sum total support I got. And that's the sum, that's the sum total support that's more than the most people's got on the platform on the MP or the MSPD. There's people out there with the vaccine damage and injured and believe, and not one MSP or government politician has contacted, approached them to say, how are you? Very cool. I'm sorry. And by the way, neither the UK government either. Not working in Ireland. And then they send me in. That's today. <laughs> yeah, feel free to rip it up. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's an insult, you know, basically. I believe you've actually told them to stop sending you that. That's your third one you've had since this has happened. Yeah, um, well, this goes back to last year, obviously. I got a letter through it to go for my transaction. <laughs> called him up, explained, and he said, I apologise, that will never happen again. And then I got another one invite me, and this time I phoned up, made a real stink. You know, this is on my records. Why the, this is, this is just an insult to me, and all you're doing is just insult me. I hadn't heard anything for a year, and that came in this morning. Yeah. So now I'm going to, have to go back on the phone and explain to someone else exactly what's happened to me through all that explain because the minute you've mentioned that people's eyes cloud over and there's wee bubbles floating away because they don't know what they're talking about. You know, that's we've got doctors that don't even know what that is. I don't deal with doctors anymore. Yeah. I only deal with three of the world's leading vascular surgeons. And six of the world being hematologists. Now, funny enough, I got a call yesterday from a hematologist, and that was my team on the update. I'm now being moved to supposed to, I was every four months getting blood and check, a conference every sort of three months. I'm now going to get my bloods. When it went to monthly, now I'm going to three monthly. Right. Two reasons for that. One, my blood, the VIC causes an antibody called PM4 antibody that becomes positive and it just wants to clog up. So I'm still 100% positive and it's not changed. So it's there for life now, it's never going to change. So the, 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 the regime I'm on to keep that at bay, I'll be on for the rest of my life, which is a course of thinners. Right. So, but the good news is that. I don't, the longer they leave me, the more they, they think that's my blood, can I stay with it's going to be? Aye, hopefully. So, 
I mean, it's ridiculous, you know, just the whole thing, just one thing after another, losing a leg and then et cetera, et cetera. It's just, and then the abuse of one thing and then your friends are dying. It's just like, you're unbelievable. Yeah, um, and then, you know, you've got the other side of it. I set out, because I knew, when this happened, I was the first in the world, I would have left my clots of this. That's, you know, that was so new that I didn't, I, was, I wasn't on the paper for, for, for two weeks. You know, um, and then I find out that there's other, there's other people. And I went on to social media, Twitter and Facebook, looking for other people like myself to try and see if we could help support each other. If, you know, because they can't be, you know, when you're just left. Yeah, it's just um, you know you've got nowhere to go. Just the next time, and then on December, I posted about something called Public Eye, and it just went viral. Um, and I went from being on Twitter with 137 followers or something like that to this where it is now. It's kind of it's not my it's not in my control to a certain extent. It's just people have really supported me um, on Twitter and that has made a massive difference to the vaccine injured and the bereaved out there because we're not, although I may always if I'm doing this, we're not, this is all about all of us together, you know, just when we're trying to do everything we can to try and get a awareness of, we're not telling you to do what you want to do with your life. You're telling me if it goes wrong, this is how you're going to be treated and what's going to happen to you. And that's wrong. You know, if we go down the road of we're trying to raise awareness of, we need help and support, we need it now, we don't need it in two years' time because some of us are not going to make it. And that's the hard reality. We're going to lose more people. Um, and I can't change that. I can't dwell on it. I can only try and limit that as much as I can. And that's not just me, that's all of us collectively when I say it um, Because as I say, this isn't just me, this is everybody. This is me fighting. I shouldn't be here, there's a reason why I'm still here. You know, people like to say this is the hole I'm going to die on. I can honestly say, I know this is the hole I'm going to die on. I already know that this is what's going to finish my life. Is there any point in getting upset and worrying about that? No, really. Because see, when you face that worst possible moment, you know what I mean, you can have to deal with that. And you don't have any fear. There's nothing to fear. So if, if I don't wake up tomorrow, I don't wake up tomorrow. I can't change it. No, I'm going to be able to deal with it. So there's no point in saying worrying about it. So well, you know, this is the fight that we're going And it's, I genuinely mean it, as well as getting young support for everybody, it's to get the, it's to honour those that maybe I should be with, and I'm not. I don't know why, why, why not bring any other day back. I don't know. What was that last week, Ed? Why not any, any of the other the 80 of the facts that happened to me yeah. that were younger? I don't know why not one day and survive, but I can't sit and dwell on that. So therefore what I can do is I can try and honour their memory and their name 
fighting for then. Um, who you are as well. You just said at the start, you know, this is your character. Yeah. Listen, I've hated bullies all my life in whatever form that may be. And I've always been the daft guy that stood up for, in many ways, you know, if you might think something that back, won't talk to me. Yeah. That's not been that was a growler and, you know, Instead, boy for Glasgow, you grow up a wee bit rough and tough. You know, you come a scabbard, you have to be a wee bit rough and tough. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but I've never been scared of coming forward and saying, nah, you're lying there, pal, that's not right, that's not going to happen. Um, and that's what I see, that's just a really big really trying to build a wee people, including myself. Yep. And then I'm not going to lie down here. I found out early on in life that I heard this thing called you're either a fighter or a flighter. And I've realised that <clears throat> I've always just been a fighter because my automatic reaction, no matter what, is just to fight back. If, if I believe I've been wrong, if I'm, if I'm wrong, then I deserve whatever I get. But if I think I'm right and you're wrong, you, you're being a bully. Oh, God. No, no, I'm not going to let you go. No, if, you, if you don't punch back and fight back, the, the bully wins. So, <laughs> well, a, a, I, I love boxing. Yeah, I've got boxing when I was a lad, and then I got into martial arts, and I did that at the second down level. Um, and if you ask me to this day, what about despite how fat I've always been, I always tell you I've said Hulk's on it. All right, oh. that's my fuck love. And the funny thing, I, was, I wasn't a great, I wasn't a great boxer, I wasn't a great um, But I was very good at martial arts because it was a full run and that thing. Maybe that was a street fighting, but I didn't come in that day, I don't know. Um, but I still relate to boxing, as talking more about uh, the discipline. Yeah, it saves a lot of lives, boxing, you know. Uh, saves a lot of lives, boxing. Oh, yeah, you know, just the club atmosphere. And control, and it teaches speed of, kind of speed, not a speed of thought, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, the mind's a lot faster active. And as much as saying, I love the skills of boxing, but I love the ethos of martial arts, yeah. which is to, you know, the best, which is the best form of defence. Not to be there. <laughs> Walk away. Yeah. And I like that better. I suppose growing up, I've had my share of no walking away and knowing about the streets to, to prove my, my voice, my saying, my whatever it was, or my slight. No, that doesn't work. Think about it otherwise, you know. Yeah. Doesn't, that doesn't quite work. You've got to change and move forward. So, you know, you're trying to make it positive and thinking forward. And I think that's, a lot of that's what's helping me. Finding that enough strength in yourself. Somebody asked me how to go. And uh, honest answer, I don't think you go. You don't get a chance to go. You're surviving. And if you're surviving, then you're fighting for it. So you're you're kind of don't people go and realise how strong they are. And I say that you don't know strong. You don't know. You don't know how strong you are. Too strong is all you've got. Yeah. That was many things I say to myself in the 4th of April when this happened to me. And I use it quite a lot. The other one I use a lot is that I tell the truth. Because the truth is like a lie. 
I don't need to defend it on it. They said it's free, don't defend itself. You know, <coughs> sorry. Go on, mate, deep there. No, that's cool, man. I love all that stuff. I'm into that as well. That's what I do and try and get the truth out as much as possible. You get abused and all the rest of it, ostracised, and you just have to stick to your principles because at the end of the day, if you believe in what you're saying and, you know, you've got the life experience of, of all this as well, you know, so that makes it even worse when people gaslight you and stuff, you know. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous. And I would yeah. be reaching about you, you know. <laughs> Gas gaslighting to the, the general public, to a certain extent, is kind of expected. Gaslighting from official government and medical professions is not something that should ever hear about. This is again why I recommend people research virology and how fraudulent the science is because once we understand there is no contagious bugs flying around, they can't keep playing this, you know, fraud. And it's it's more than unfortunate. Look at the right words to express. You know, I was trying to warn people not to take it, and people have ended up taking this and living the consequences. And it's fucking heartbreaking, me honestly. I, I, I think the way I look at it is as an adult. I'm not here to tell you what to do and what not to do. That's your choice, that's democracy, and that's part of what I want to put as my basic principles and standards. Yep. Then I have to say that's for everybody. Yep. Um, I've lost what I was doing, I've been called. Sorry. Yeah, I was just saying, you know, we have to get the truth out there about the bigger lies so they can't keep doing this. I'm not telling people what to do. You know, I'm not telling you, look at this, what do you think of this information? Exactly. Yourself. Ultimately, all we're trying to do is say, look, you're an adult. Look at this. Look into a wee bit deeper and make sure you're okay with whatever choice you make. I'll support you in my last bed because that's democracy. But if we go down another step, we're now starting to get this push to go for even younger people. Yep. Uh, and I've got a couple of things if you don't mind me. There's three questions for them, for them trying to give it to your children. I want to say ask three questions. Can they supply you with the independently verified safety data for children? Two, will this government support my child for life if it goes wrong? Three, will the pharmaceutical company support my child for life should it go wrong? 
who's a parent, you've got duty of care to ask those questions. And if the answer to no is any of them, you should really consider what you're doing to your child. And worldwide at the moment, the answer to all three is no. Don't take my word for it. Go and check it. But that is a parent. I'm sorry I have to stand up and say medically, scientifically, there is no reason for this to be given to children. Children have a 99.998% chance of having any problems with us. So we're talking 0.08% of children will possibly have a reaction to whatever they're saying this is. They can't say that for these test vaccines for children. This is now getting flu and this. This flu variant thing was not the flu one, this new variant of flu was tested on eight mice and given approval. Don't give it to your fucking children, please, for the love of it. I can't change your heart to me. I've got a few years left to live my life on this, but they don't do that to a fucking five, six, four year old. And I want to tell you, if your children is under two in the UK illegally, it's not recognised if it dies reaction to a vaccine under two in the UK. It's not counted. These are the horrific things that people should be told before they're allowed to do any of these kind of things. And that's the thing we find that the, the, the more I go with this, how nefarious it gets. It goes further, mate. It's goes really yeah, good. no, we know. I've said this before. I have stack of reading material stuff that I want to go follow. Because while I'm doing, obviously, a lot of the research, because I can't quote figures that I can't back up, the minute I do that, people have got an argument against me, and I'm sorry, I'm not giving them any opportunity. So where I can 100%, I'll try to make sure anything I say I put up is factual. That's to protect me and who I've talked to. And I've lost what that was going as well. That's <laughs> all right. Yeah, I mean, what can we say about the whole thing? It's been it's an absolute shit show. You know, what's happened in the world, the lack of care. We used to care for each other. Nursing no. used to be about personal care, not sticking toxic drugs in you, you know? I, I think somebody said something that uh, was probably as accurate and it's probably as cold, and I don't mean it to this way, but if someone came up to you and said, you have got stacy cancer, you would never say I'm alright. Oh. So what, what makes it alright for you to say to people like me, I've got three drugs and I've got stuff and I'm alright. I'm genuinely happy for you. But it's no impacted your life in any way, shape or form. And I wish you a long and happy and eventful life. But that's not always the case. This is what happens when it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, I don't come... Um, I, I, how could you say that to someone it's a lack of Yeah, people don't have to movies have trained people, you know, to I don't know, be less moral, and you know, there's a lots and lots of reasons. It's just fucking knows what's happened to humanity at this stage in the game. Oh yeah, um, I said so. You know, somebody's fucked up the time walking into him. You know, somebody's messing about with things because it's not it's not normal. No. What's happened in the last two and a half years is normal. It's never been done 
I do genuinely believe that this will be the biggest scandal in humanity today. Yeah. Uh, and I don't say because I'm involved in it, because it's behind the scenes, I see numbers of people don't see. Yeah. You know, I'm in touch with, as I say, all the UK groups. We're very close and aligned. I'm always in touch with lots of groups in the USA, Canada, Australia. Uh, there's a, I've got a friend in Brazil as well. I've ended up with some of the strangest friends in the world. Some of them be lovely, and with some of them strange connections, and I mean that in the nicest way. I never thought I would ever say, right side of the head, and I would be in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Especially being alive, you know. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, you've got good taste. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And I've seen the Who at SECC. I uh, don't know if you were at that, that gig. A few years ago, John Estenwell was uh, how to call it? Eston Whistle. And Whistle, John and Whistle. His bass guitar playing was fucking out of this world. It was mine. There's absolutely no argument that he is one of, if not, up there in the top three bass players Aye. in a rock band ever. Aye. I had it um, on the big screen, and so you were watching it. And Pete, he was ready to stop. He looked at Pete Townsend and Pete said, no, keep going. So it was like another three-minute bass guitar solo. Right? That's just fucking amazing. <laughs> the strange thing about The Who was uh, they were never a big band no. for me. All right. Uh, all I always saw them as a rock band that kind of had a, a, a mod influence, if um, that makes any sense. Um, but I still loved a lot of their songs. Obviously, Quadrophene is a, uh, it's a masterpiece. Uh, uh, and fun enough, the band we were in, we we to do something different. We tried to do the four main songs from Quadrophenia. Aye. Um, Aye. There's one I've had enough. Right. Now this is a seven and a half minute long, huge production number. Aye. To try and get a band of four or five people to pull that off is really difficult. Yeah. Uh, and our bass player is a guy that I'm good, was in the band that was in it. He gets the credit for pulling that song off right. live for us. Very few bass players will play that song because it's such a hard bass form. They normally cut out a lot of the wee, and, you know, the wee medley bits, the bits that add to it. Aye. You don't quite notice them if they're not there sort of thing, if it's live. Aye. No hand. Aye. He, he'll... He, he was not mod. He's actually in a rockabilly band. All right. <laughs> uh, Cherry, Cherry 53s. Or the, uh, Cherry 53s. Cherry 53s. Um, and he plays the, the big bass, the big dump, dump, dump. Aye. What a bass player, Italian lad called Enzo. Shout out to him. Um, and he, we at rehearsal suggested with that song, and we're all like, shit, come on, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know, for five, are you joking? And he came in the next week and played the full bass line. Awesome. One play. <laughs> and the rest is just sat there with that look of we need to try and make that swap. <laughs> and we did it live uh, in the first place we did it live and really nailed it was McShaw's in Glasgow. All right, yeah. Um and we actually we nailed it if that makes sense. Oh, I don't see that really we cut for. but that was more of, I'm a jam man. Aye. I thought it made small faces. Small faces, the originals. Uh, Steve Marriott, oh yeah, you know. 
the boat was that young one, that man had, uh, was incredible. So that was kind of more a small phrase, uh, that kind of the kinks. The kinks, uh, I'm honest, I like the Beatles. the Northern Soul and Wigan and all that, just the people just going there for the dance and dancing all night to all that stuff, yeah. or, or the singles that they've played. Listen, Alex, I'm actually going to have to interview, cut you off, well, not cut you off, but end it. because no, Another interview. Plus, I don't want this to cut off and we lose it, so I think we should kind of wrap it up a wee bit and then I'll download it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've, we've done quite well. So is there anything you'd like to say just in the past and uh, before we leave about you know what you're doing next or anything at all you want to promote? Um, first of all, thank you, Billy, for reaching out and, and inviting me on your show. I, I know you're taking a bit of a gamble and I hope I don't cause you too much trouble. Um, obviously, on behalf of the vaccine and the breed, I thank you for, for your support. No, I mean, see, when all these people say, wish you could do more and you want to help, you know, I, I'm not, I, I feel helpless, you know. You do need help from the government. I don't know how the fuck you can get that. I can do a small part. I'm glad to do that. Well, but, this is you know. things like this allowing people like myself to share their story yeah. and see the reality of what is there and how it is. Is maybe if that in itself maybe helps somebody else in some small way, or somebody says, Do you know what, I'm going to support these people. You'll find us on you find me on Twitter. I'm not hard to see uh, Alex Mitchell or AKE two three zero six. Everybody knows me. Um, for anybody that is suffering or struggling, maybe wants some advice and help, reach out to me. I'm always trying to help people if I can. I don't give medical advice or legal advice. I'm not trained or qualified in that. But I can maybe point you proper support groups and things like that. I certainly will. This will, this will finish. We know it will. I've got hope and faith. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. You know, any other human being who's been in that situation, you just want to hide away and crawl. You don't want to be part of your old life. But this is not about me, this is about changing my thong in life. And if I can do this and if I change, save even one child life, then it's a small comfort. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing your story. It's been very touching and unbelievable and I wish you all the best and let's stay in touch. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you'll get some kind of justice and people like yourself and John Watt and the other people out there, I don't know, get some help to deal with what you've got to face now. That's the yeah. you can do after saying there's going to be collateral damage. We'll take care of the collateral damage. Seems yeah. fair enough to me, you know. So thanks for your time, uh, Alex. And if you stay there, we'll just say goodbye to you after. But everyone else, thanks for watching. And I'm actually interviewing Mike Williams there in 40 minutes. So. You can tune me in with me there and uh, my website, hopefully, even though this one never went live, we'll try again. In the meantime, cheers and out. Bye-bye.